Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, the first tennis podcast that we have brought to you for a few weeks. You've probably heard plenty from us if you follow us on Twitter, on Facebook or on Instagram or one of the many other millions of platforms that David Law is finding out about on a weekly basis because we have been running our Kickstarter campaign to raise funds to keep this podcast going in 2017. It's going really well. We haven't quite hit the targets yet. There's still uh, a couple of weeks to go before the end of the campaign this if you haven't donated yet uh, then there is still opportunity to and I'll bring you more details of that later in the show but don't worry we're not going to bore you uh, with desperate pleas for your money for a whole show we are going to talk about some tennis and to do that I am joined by well first of all Rosie who's lying at my feet at the moment glaring at the uh, doggy pigs in blankets I've got sat on the table next to me and uh, secondly very much second in the running order David Law David how are you doing? All right, steady. Hello, Rosie. Um, I'm glad you've uh, joined us for uh, for our final episode of 2016. I, I didn't know you were around for this particular episode, um, and the uh, the the IQ level has just catapulted into the stratosphere now that you're a part of the team. I'm trying to teach her how to wink at the moment. She's been doing inadvertent winks, uh, and I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to get her to understand a command for it. It's not it's not going brilliantly, but uh, yeah, I think I've perhaps. Bitten off more than I can chew with dog training there. But yeah, she's a YouTube sensation waiting to happen. But yeah, she is lying at my feet. How have you, have you Christmas? How has your Christmas been, David? It has been holiday season. Happy Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Eid. Happy Pagan Festival, if you're that way inclined. Happy all the festive times. Have I covered all the bases there? How have your festive times been, David? They've been fantastic, fantastic, um, and uh, no, it's been a wonderful few weeks. Just uh, lounging around, uh, moving basically the uh, the radius of my house, and that's about it. Uh, and uh, and just just eating disgusting amounts of food, and uh, and and really just trying to trying to keep calm until the start of the tennis season because it's, As, it's well, it's you've coming, not been succeeding at that, David. You have not been succeeding at staying calm at all. As I said to David, but just before we came on air, we were just having a little chat. I said, David, it's just been just you, the family, and the Twitter sphere because David has been going in the absence of any actual tennis to watch. You've been going particularly nuts on twitter to the extent that i've actually had to turn off my notifications for both the david law tennis account and the tennis podcast account which i'm ashamed to well i'm not ashamed to admit it actually you know girls got to have a break from the pole vault but that is the only mention of pole vault on today's show because i'm presenting so we're going to move straight on because uh considering it's been the off season the already incredibly brief off season that we have in tennis uh, an absurd amount has happened in the tennis world, hasn't it, David? It's been quite extraordinary. Some of it good, some of it mixed, some of it incredibly bad. And we'll get perhaps the really, really bad out of the way first. And that probably the worst of it all has to be uh, the attack that Petra Kvitova sustained at her home in the Czech Republic and the subsequent uh, injury that has been caused to her left hand, of course, her dominant playing hand. I'm not sure... Uh, provided everybody knows the details of that and they were very widely reported there's not a whole lot for us to say i mean 
the bottom line is everybody knows and can draw their own conclusions. It's just a terrible, terrible, unfortunate thing. Her response to it has been heartwarming and fantastic and incredibly stoical. And uh, it sounds like the best projected schedule of her recovery is that she might be able to try and hold a tennis racket in three months and might be able to start playing again in roughly six months. That is definitely the most optimistic schedule. I think there's a whole lot of uh, unknowns um, in that at the moment she did sustain nerve damage, which to me sounds worrying. But equally, you know, she had some of the best surgeons in the Czech Republic working on her. And she certainly, it seems, sees reason to be optimistic. That press conference she did um, just under a week ago, just before Christmas, was um, quite extraordinary, wasn't it, David, in terms of her attitude to the whole thing just days after it happened. I mean, she could have been forgiven it could have been understandable if she was still just walking around in a completely catatonic state frankly you know still in shock from it all yet she seemed to have digested everything that had happened to her everything that possibly could happen to her over the next few months and years she seemed to just have been taking it on board in the most measured level-headed way imaginable yeah, in a, in a manner in which I can barely fathom. I, I do not see how I would possibly cope with with an event like that in the way that she has. I, I have unending admiration for her in, in that regard. I feel terribly sorry for her that this this has happened, like we all do, because I mean, just the shock must be total uh, at the time and uh, and the fear and and everything else that that goes with it. But um, well. As you said, there's not much to say other than it's a terrible shame that it's it's put her out of, of the sport and, and, and caused her such harm on a physical and, and personal level. But also, you know, thank goodness that she's still here to tell the tale and that it's not even worse that, that, than it was. And we wish her the very best and hope she's back very, very soon. Yeah, that's just it, isn't it? It's, it's awful. It's undeniably awful, but it could have been worse. And uh, if Petra Kvitova herself can see the positives in the situation, then we certainly should be able to, to as well. So, uh, yeah, absolutely very well said. She will, of course, be missing from the Australian Open, and she won't be the only one missing from the Australian Open. Well, she did. There's actually a worryingly growing list of of big interesting names that we're not going to see at the Australian Open it hasn't dampened your excitement <laughs> that much is certain uh, just 0.0.1 percent an immeasurable uh, imagine what the Twitter activity would be like with that extra 0.01 percent Rosie actually as I speak is edging towards the door it is it is 47 minutes until her, no it is 37 minutes until her dinner time so she's getting a bit edgy uh, the countdown is on. Uh, yeah, others that will be missing from the Australian Open. Juan Martin Del Potro, he, uh, he's not going to play. Really devastating, isn't it? Not due to any... Well, he says he hasn't had enough time to recover from last season and he simply says his body won't allow him to play a full schedule of tennis ever again, it sounds like. So he has to be... He has to make difficult decisions and be selective about where he plays. But that's... A tough way to start the year by missing the first Grand Slams. Madison Keys won't be there. She is going to have some surgery. She incidentally has also announced that she's back with Lindsay Davenport, which I think is a great thing. More on the coaching merry-go-round shortly. Victoria Azarenka has had a baby. We knew she was having a baby. We knew she wouldn't be in Australia, but there you go. Congratulations to Victoria Azarenka and Anna Vanovic. Uh, it has retired as of 24 hours ago, so we won't be seeing Aussie Anna there either. That's that's quite a list. That's quite a, a bombardment of information I'm going to give you to comment on now, David. Uh, and it is a bit of a who's who of, of good eggs, isn't it? If you think of, of some of the players you've just named there, Anna Ivanovic, Juan Martin Del Potro, Keys, Azarenka, these are, these are good players people as well that very decent for us to deal with in the media and uh, yeah it's going to be a shame not to have them there and Kvitova obviously at the top of that list but Ivanovic the news about her coming out yesterday uh, she prefaced it 24 hours earlier by saying she was going to hold a, a Facebook Live session, uh, something that Catherine Whitaker is particularly good at. You'll be able to see that during uh, the Australian Open on Eurosports account, no doubt, Catherine. Daily, uh, and, I'm uh, in, informed yeah. daily. Daily, 
goodness me. Well, how are you going to fit in periscopes for us then if we if we manage to get there and do them? Anyway, I'm going to be doing that's them over story. breakfast, I think. Yeah, exactly right. Um, that, uh, Anna Ivanovich did this yesterday, and certainly for me it was not a surprise, partly because I'd, I'd had a few conversations with Nigel Sears. I knew that they were not going to be working together anymore after the, the final event of 2016, and certainly the feeling I got was that the decision had been pretty much made by Ivanovich a short while ago, and um, and that she was just disillusioned with the way her her body was responding, with all the injuries and and the, the rigors of the tour. I mean, let's not forget this is somebody who's been around for more than ten years because she started as a teenager. Uh, she'd reached the pinnacle of the game. She was world number one. She was a French Open champion eight years ago this is a long time ago and and yes she's had flashes of inspiration reaching the french open semis in 2015 and and moments where you thought actually maybe she could still become a force at the very top end of the game but hasn't ever been able to sustain it for the last few years really and i think the i mean I, I think she's she's some I don't know her very well, but she seems really nice. I, I've never heard a bad word said about her. I think she'll have a very happy life without tennis. She seems to have a lot of interest. She seems to she's she's just got married. I suspect she will be somebody who who does a lot with her life in in the future. But she is only twenty nine. It is a shame that she's retired. But the the mind does go back a year to conversations I had with Nigel about the level she was still playing at certainly in practice and and it was a he he believed it to be a really high level he felt that she if she could put that level onto the court consistently she could compete at the very top level again but two things one the injuries she's talked about and two if you watch her watched her on court in the last few years you could see anxiety was an issue for her performance anxiety she would she would want to win so badly, too badly, and it would end up impeding her performance, and she could no longer handle it. And I actually read an interview with her just uh, just yesterday uh, on the WTA site where she was talking about how when she was younger, she was just winning almost as though – and wasn't even thinking about it. There was a, the, the older you get – we've talked about this before – the older players get – the more the nerve goes and they start to remember difficult experiences in their career when they're when they're standing there about to serve break point down or whatever it might be and 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 I think she's a perfect example of that she struggled more of it with it as as the years went by but well there's just lots... you're taking more baggage aren't you onto the court that's right that's right and uh lots lots to remember though in a very positive way about Anna Ivanovich I think she I asked on on Twitter yesterday or the day before whether she'd realized her potential and and I I think she I think she did I mean uh, and and don't forget obviously potential the mental side of it comes into that and and I think she did what she could with what she'd got she she put everything into it it's funny isn't it can you think of just that account uh you've you've recalled of her talking about the anxiety that she brought onto the court in that years i'm just i'm thinking aloud here david which is sort of what the podcast is for i suppose can you think of any examples of player that players that actually developed more nerve as they got older is that just an inevitable thing or is it a personality related thing that tends to be normal but there are some the buck the trend i'm i'm I'm, I'm putting you right on the spot here david i would say i would say joe conta for one i I know she's only 25 but if you went back to when she was 20 she's trained herself to handle her nerves and she's become sort of a mental giant in the women's circuit in the last 12 to, to 18 months and yet she was the the total opposite to that a few years ago i think there are other players who've just learned from their experiences and and maybe have gone away and and consulted the the right sports psychologist for them that has said something maybe in the latter stages of the career that has just clicked Uh, uh, somebody i would think of in terms of achieving his goals is is someone like marion chilich who who i think his his click was was Goran Ivanovic he just managed to get him to relax and to stop overthinking it so I do think it's possible and that's why I think Thomas Burditch is such a an interesting story over the next 12 months he was talking in an interview yesterday about 
no longer being concerned with being consistent over the full 12 months. He wants to have that one standout event above all else. He wants a slam. He wants to, to put it together and relax and spice up his career. And, of course, he's added Goran. Yeah, well, I remember talking to Thomas Burdick. We're getting way off piste here. None of this is in the agenda, but there you go. Uh, I remember talking to Thomas Burdick uh, in uh, in one of the clay court tournaments last year, and I said, oh, you, you, you have the most consistent record on the tour. You're the only player that's reached the quarterfinals or better of every tournament. You know, I was trying to be, I was trying to butter him up for a, a hard-hitting question, you know, uh, and he just wasn't impressed with that at all. He, he wasn't biting in any way. He wasn't, you know, that was, it was clear that that, you know, that's not the goal for him. Quarterfinals or better. What what does that mean to Thomas Burdick? He's done that now. If it's not a slam, then uh, it's not worth having. It's int- I, I remember my ice skating coach used to say to me that stupid skaters, she said I was too intelligent to be a skater because I thought about it all too much. Every time I went round to do a jump, she could see on my face that I was thinking about all the times I'd ever fallen trying to do that jump before. And she said she had, you know, she didn't name them, but stupid or less intelligent uh, people that she coached who just could merrily go round and, you know, just not think about it all too much. And maybe that's the key, whether it's via (laughs) stupidity (laughs) or via, you know, hiring a sports psychologist or a coach that can just somehow tap in. And I know there's all this sort of my instinct with people that talk about staying in the present. I sort of instantly wince at all that sort of psychobabble type stuff. But does seem to work doesn't it does seem to work that does does seem seem to to be what it's about staying in the present and and, and not thinking about all all your baggage and uh, yeah as much as staying in the present sounds to me like a whole load of hot air you know i'm 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 not a top level athlete and and yeah you can't knock it it seems to if you can find the key to be able to do it it does seem to be what works Indeed. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I'm, I'm going to – I've realised now, Catherine, hearing all that, and particularly from your ice skating coach who's, <laughs> who's revealed something to me who uh, about your intelligence, which I certainly hadn't cottoned on to about you being too intelligent. I should, um, I should probably preface that before it sounds like the worst humble brag of all time. I mean, it already sounds like that, I'm aware. Dave, I'm, I'm expecting the text from Dave Levy to come through any minute now. Um, that I don't think her reference points for... I, I don't think the bar was that high. I think I can... Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's all becoming <laughs> clear to me now, though, that, that, that the reason my tennis career hasn't taken off is just because I'm just too much of a boffin. Sure. Yeah, that's what it is. I'd like to see you say that to John McEnroe one day. You know, I think the key to your success, John, was that you just weren't that intelligent. Moving on, should we get back to the agenda topics? Oh yeah, go on. (laughs) Uh, Would you like to say anything about Madison Keys? Her getting back together with Lindsay Davenport. Now is your time, David. I am disappointed about Keys. I mean, at the WTA finals, she she just always feels as though she's improving, and this is just a setback. You know, just you feel as though this woman sooner or later is going to is going to be the one to take it over with the game she's got and and this could have been a perfect tournament for her it was two years ago wasn't it when she reached the semi-finals and had that big breakthrough Davenport was by her side then I've I think that they mesh very well together as personalities certainly uh, seeing her with Thomas Hogstead on the side of the court and and listening into their on-court coaching sessions you got the feeling that that it was look it was a very business-like relationship it worked he got her into the top 10 it's it's a big move actually for keys to move away from him really but there's a, there's clearly a comfort level with davenport and i can understand it she's a very easy person to get along with plus been there done it with a very similar game hopefully her physical side can stand up in the future but that that is a, a blow del potro i i know that you know the the point you made about uh, he him saying that his body can't handle a full year. I hope it is that. I hope it is that because who knows? Maybe there's been another relapse of some kind. No, with the I old can't injury. even. I can't even think about that as a possibility, David. It's too bleak. Yeah. It's too. Yeah, I mean, we can't he, he take was, it. We've all he, invested so much know, in the fairy joy, tale Del Potro's story. It, it cannot be. Yeah, you know, in this rubbish year of 2016, in so many ways, he was a shining light. And uh, and well, let's hope he's back soon. I hope they're all back soon. 
David the Optimist. Right then, well, that brings us nicely on to talk of the ever-rotating coaching merry-go-round. We've mentioned oh, well, we haven't Madison talked about Keys. Roger Federer's return yet. Yeah, well, no, I've decided just because I'm in control, I'm going to rejig. The, I thought that was All a right. nice segue. Go on, then. Because we've go. already mentioned coaching coaching changes. I thought I'd, I was doing some on-the-hoof rejigging, which I thought worked really well until you drew attention to it. Anyway. Rejig away. There has been... Lots of movement in the world of coaches, hasn't there, David? Some very, very intriguing movement. Probably the least intriguing because we had already talked it to death before it had even happened. Boris Becker and Novak Djokovic have uh, fully confirmed their split since the last time that we spoke. It's no great surprise. Becker, uh, who'll be working with Eurosport, the Australian Open, actually, <laughs> he just can't stay away for long, can he? Uh, he has said some interesting stuff post the split about how he didn't think Djokovic worked hard enough in the second half of last year. I suppose that's not that revelatory. I suppose most people probably would have assessed that that was likely to be the case. But the fact that, that Becker's, you know, been that outspoken about it i suppose it is interesting but yeah i mean we have we have sort of done it to death haven't we but have you have you anything to add david it did amuse me uh, i thought that was an interesting interview he gave by the way revealing that level of detail i don't think he necessarily intended to at the time but he was pushed quite hard by jackie beltrow and sky uh, in a follow-up question and, and lo and behold he, he ended up saying it um i i I found it quite amusing that, that within an hour of announcing or the uh, the departure from, from Djokovic's team, there was a picture released by Eurosport of him standing there with his Eurosport microphone. <laughs> I mean, they don't hang about. He doesn't hang about, does he? Um, but, I, you know, sus- as you, I suspect he, that deal didn't come about within that hour. Imagine if Somehow. it did. Imagine if it right, <laughs> Boris. You know you've just um, you've just stopped working with Novak. Get yourself a pink shirt on. I mean, it could have done. Hold this microphone and, uh, and and have this photo taken. Deal. We all right? Yeah. Fine. Five quid. Five I quid don't an hour. think. I I think it's probably fair to say that Boris doesn't mind being in the spotlight do you think that would be i think that's fairly accurate look yeah. he loves it they th- this is the thing that we we've noticed with all these super coaches they they've missed it i think it wasn't the done thing i know i know they've been commentating and so forth but there's some people who just don't want to be away and he's one of them what am i hearing there uh, you, you are hearing a uh, small cuddly reindeer being uh <laughs> being squeaked uh, in exuberance but but not by me by dog i see yeah so becker and Djokovic, no big surprises there we have sort of we'd pre-talked it to death it's going to be interesting there have been no signs i've heard nothing on the grapevine about Djokovic potentially hiring someone else he of course still has marion vider in his corner whether he's looking to make any other appointments I genuinely don't know. Speak now, David, if you have some insider information. I don't think anybody does. I hear silence. No, so. I, I'm all out. I mean, I think uh, I think he will work with Marian Vida. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. I, I, lo- I do love this time of year. I think more than ever now, we get more coaching changes than ever. And I th- I'm sure it's super coach driven in many ways. People just looking for that little edge. And it does make going into Australia just, just fascinating to see what... What will happen? Who will have the biggest impact? Well, of course, uh, all eyes are on Carlos Moya and Rafael Nadal, their new coaching relationship, Milos Raonic and Richard Krejcik as well. We'll come on to talk about those in a minute. Just going back to the women's game, because we already mentioned uh, Madison Keys working with Lindsay Davenport. She was working with Thomas Hodgstead previously. Jeannie Bouchard is now back working with Thomas Hodgstead. She's done a very different interview saying she's targeting 2017 as her year to get back on track to where she was a couple of years ago well of course she is why wouldn't you be you've got to you've got to think positive and of course joe conta as well big surprise big shocks in her coaching team not only the split with esteban carril the coach the spanish coach she's been working with for the past couple of years but also the very very sad news of the death of her mental coach juan cotto who had been credited with so much of joe conta's turnaround over the last couple of years conta now is working with new coach wim fissett but it's an awful lot of upheaval of change as great a coach as as Fissett is these are these are turbulent times for Joe Conta aren't they David 
Well, it's a big question mark, isn't it, as to how she will come out over the next 12 months, given the upheaval, given the changes. And, and as you mentioned, first and foremost, somebody who she would have confided in, somebody she believed in, um, in in Juan Cotto and, and who helped her. We talked about her earlier in the, in the podcast uh, on this occasion, how, how she's changed for the better over the last couple of years and the way she's transformed her mental approach and in no small part to, to the work that she did with him. I remember we had him as a guest on five lives coverage of, of the Australian open last year. And, uh, and it, it would have been a huge blow to her, obviously on a personal level um, to suffer such a loss and, and, we're terribly sad to hear about that ourselves here. And the the other side of it, to split with Esteban Caril, who had been with her for the last couple of years and, and helped to to guide her into the world's top ten. I mean, it's don't know the full details. That there is a, there are only so many um elements given by Conta and Caril as to why the split took place. Um but to me it's it's a big question mark, and I, I don't know which way this one's going to go because um, I, whenever he came out onto the court, she seemed to respond well to him, relaxed her. Wim Fassett is somebody who's been there and done it with uh, with Victoria Azarenka. He's worked with Simona Halep, uh, Kim Kleisters. This is somebody You're going who for has Fassett, uh, I hear. Sorry. Is it, yeah, his, I the am pronunciation indeed. is very important we'll, we'll to us that. here on the tennis podcast. Do you say yeah, Fassett well, with authority? Because if so, I, I, will, get, I, I will switch up. I get a lot wrong, so uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't guarantee that that's correct. But anyway, we'll go with that for for the sake of argument. If anybody wants to argue with okay. that, but you know, it's 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 um it's a gamble, really, Catherine. I think I I, I I'm amazed that she split from Esteban Carroll personally. Now it may turn to out to be a masterstroke. She may go from ten in the world to five in the world to Grand Slam champion. She's capable. She's capable, but. Oh dear, I, 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 I'm surprised, I must say. Yeah, I have, I have to say I'm nervous for Joe Conta at this particular moment in time. Obviously, the Juan Cotto thing, terribly sad and obviously unavoidable from, from her perspective, the fact that they, they, she won't have him in her life anymore. I think the influence is, has been undoubtable uh, over the last couple of years. But the Kirill thing... Yeah, I'm it, with Joe Conta. We've talked about it a lot over the last year or so, haven't we? That it just seemed like she miraculously managed to find a way for all the pieces of the jigsaw just to fit into exactly the right place all at the same time. And we felt like maybe they're not held in place by anything particularly strong. You know, if one thing goes, then the whole thing could come tumbling down like a house of cards. I've used far too many metaphors in one sentence, but. Yeah, I, I just I just worry that something this I, I thought something, you know, relatively small in the change of her setup could could completely upset the apple cart for her. So something this big, of course, it could of course it could take her from to to greater success. Of course it could. I, we don't know. But I'm just a bit nervous for her. She's proved me wrong before, though. I didn't think she'd she'd make it into the top 10 this year. And I've she's proven me completely wrong. So what do I know? But I'm just a little bit anxious for her at this moment, especially with, you know, the points she has to defend in Australia coming up, you know, mentally. Talk about baggage coming onto a court. That's that's pressure, isn't it? As much as I'm quite sure she will tell us all in Australia how she's staying in the present and she's not thinking about last year and she's not thinking about the points she has to defend. She's not a machine. She's not a robot. That will be somewhere in her mind and it will be something she'll have to deal with. And, I, I, you know, it all remains to be seen for Joe Conta at the moment. But um, we will see in the coming weeks because, amazingly, the 2017 tennis season is just days away. And David it's awesome, is, isn't it? Uh, it's I, a good I, thing because David was my... at risk of exploding, I, yeah, I assure you. I've got Abu Dhabi you. on right now on Eurosport 2. Uh, David good Goffin channel, against... that Eurosport 2, David. Good channel. Yeah. Well, you know, David Goffin against Joe Wilfred Songa at the moment, going through their their paces in what is basically an exhibition, isn't it? But Rafael Nadal was on there earlier. I heard he got a six love set against Thomas Burdick. I don't I don't know how that one ended up, but anyway. Um, so uh, that's a yeah, pride all, breather, all isn't it? Isn't there a sort of unwritten rule in exhibitions that you're not allowed to get six love? 
six love sets. Yeah, I, I mean, think could Thomas Burdick is probably licking some wounds and feeling a little bit aggrieved somewhere right now. Could you imagine how that conversation w- would go, though, Rafa? Um, it's an exhibition, so you know, don't go, don't go all out on every point. I mean, that's like trying to rewire a car, isn't it? <laughs> It's not going to happen. Problem is, though, and he's got particularly something to prove at the moment because, drumroll, he's got Carlos Moya in his corner. I, I, I haven't heard anybody with anything but positive, excited things to say about the fact that finally we are going to see Moya working with Nadal. I don't expect you to have anything but positive, excited things to say, David. Yeah, it's an interesting one, actually, uh, Carlos Moya. I mean, it, it certainly would appear on the surface to be a perfect fit really those two they they've got they get along famously they they used to play each other they you know it's all the ingredients are there but you don't necessarily get the results just because you get along do you i mean i i and because your stars are similar obviously moyer is a is a former world number 1 and french open champion himself i just think back to when moyer worked with raonic and that seemed a pretty unlikely combination to me and yet they worked beautifully together they they got some fantastic results he got him going to the net more than he did the rest of the year even Carlos Moyer if you remember back to the Australian Open he was fantastic I thought um, Carlos Moyer with him yeah he was yeah I, I completely agree with you I don't think it's necessarily about their styles being similar or them getting on really well. I'm sure all of that, or certainly the getting on really well, the fact that he will just mesh seamlessly into the team, I'm sure that will be of of great benefit. But isn't it more just about a different voice? Because Nadal's never had a different voice. He's yeah. had Uncle Tony. Yeah, I, I think, and that's what John McEnroe was saying earlier this year, wasn't it? He, he he didn't say who or what kind of person he thought Nadal should bring on board. He just said he thinks he needs somebody to bring something different, to bring a different perspective. And I think when you've worked with somebody for your whole career, your whole life, like Nadal has, let alone the fact that they're a member of your family... It must be quite difficult to accept anything that anybody else has to say. You know, they're in, they've been in the same groove for 20-odd years, haven't they? Yeah. So I think it possibly needs to be somebody as trusted as Moya, as close as Moya is to Nadal, for him to be prepared to listen to it, perhaps even for Uncle Tony to be prepared to have another voice in the team. You know, the fact that their family will mean that Rafa is particularly respectful and sensitive of uncle tony's feelings about the whole matter so i think it's just about a different voice coming in that nadal and tony will be prepared to listen to and take on board Yeah, i agree and and, and i do think it's the right decision for nadal because i'm a big believer in leaving no stone unturned the last thing you would want to do if you're nadal is have had it in the back of your mind to try this and not have done it and not have had the success without having done it. At least if it if it goes wrong now, he's he's tried everything. Absolutely. Well, what do we make of Milos Raonic and Richard Krychek then? Speaking of people that used to work with Carlos Moyer, Richard Krychek, of course, uh, trialed some coaching with uh, Stanislav Vavrinka over the grass court season. He made very clear to us, didn't he, at Queen's earlier this year, how it was a really revealing interview, I thought, just how desperate he was to get on the Supercoach bandwagon. He'd been, he said he'd been waiting for his kids to leave home so that he could take up a full-time coaching job. You know, he'd been sat by the phone waiting for it to ring. He said he stayed up all night last winter watching every match of the Australian Opens just from a coach's perspective, trying to sort of get himself in the mindset of a coach. He's desperate to get out there and make a long-term coaching relationship work I think and this one it's interesting to me because it's the total opposite of the Raonic-Moyer relationship they strike me as very similar Krychik, yeah. Krychik and Raonic so it's it's yeah it's it, and of course he had McEnroe with him Raonic and I suppose they're more similar in terms of playing styles with the sort of propensity to go up to the net but in terms of temperaments completely different and I felt you could see the instant benefit of that to Raonic you could see him coming out of his shell by the day at Queen's you know when they first worked together 
I don't think that's going to happen with Krychek, but I don't know quite what is going to happen with Krychek on board. Well, they're, they're very similar. They are very similar individuals. I've spent quite a lot of time with both of those two. They're both deep thinkers, both highly intelligent, fascinated I think they will be with each other. I, th- I could imagine them spending hours having conversations about all manner of aspects of life, not just tennis. And most specifically, though, given their their respective builds are so similar, both tall, rangy men with huge serves, I think Krychek will have a number of just straightforward tips for, for Raonic about how best to utilise his game, the game of a big guy. Uh, let's not forget, Krychek was terrible at Wimbledon and he, he figured it out. He worked out how to win Wimbledon in 1996. He has wanted to coach Raonic, I reckon, for two or three years. I think he's had his eye on him because I remember being in a commentary box with, with Richard Krychek on the BBC radio for the quarterfinal of Wimbledon two or three years ago when Raonic beat Nishikuri. And during that commentary, Krychek said, this guy is going to win Wimbledon. And I think he even meant that that year. And as it happens, he then went out on court against Roger Federer on that dusty, uh, sunburned court when everybody was slipping over and Federer was just tiptoeing around it in the way that he does with that perfect footwork. And frankly, Milos Raonic froze on that day. But again, this year, I think... uh, Krychek watched the run of Raonic and, and he said in our interview on the eve of the final, he won't win it this year, but he will win it in the next two or three years and he'll be a contender for the next five or six. And, and he believes in with him. my help. Yeah, he, well, you know, I think he was hoping. I think he was really hoping and it very nearly happened earlier last year. They, they did talk and they worked together for a couple of days and talked about uh, getting together and I know. I know both of them are really excited about this. Well, I well, it, that doesn't surprise me. As I say, at Queens last year, you could. See, I mean, Krychek was just so delighted to be there and be in a coaching role, wasn't he? Just yeah, he basically said he'd been sat by the phone wait, waiting for a juicy call to come in. So I'm really pleased for him. I hope it works for them. But as I say, it, it's a very different appointment to any that Brownich has made previously. But he does strike me as a guy that it, is quite open-minded and willing to try anything you know we can quote again his Milos Raonic I'm CEO of Milos Raonic tennis you know he 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 brings on board consultants doesn't he and he remains the overall decision maker but we say it every off season don't we it makes it makes for a very interesting Australian Open when we have all these new relationships to analyze you know all us journalists are scrambling to get down to the practice courts to see what their dynamics are like, you know, how one one new coach interacts with another, you know, how did Lendl interact with Jamie Delgado when he came on board at Queen's, you know, how are Uncle Tony and Carlos Moya going to get on together? It is, there's no shortage of in- intrigue. And speaking of intrigue on the practice court, this is another accidental excellent segue, though I say so myself. <laughs> I thought I'd I would uh, draw attention to it just in case you didn't this time. I I, I, I see uh, I see Rosie's raising no, her eyebrow. No, she's actually there. gone off to to just sit by her her bowl waiting waiting for some food to be poured into it. That's how she for the fifteen minutes before five o'clock she just sits by her bowl just to make sure no one forgets. She and I have got a lot in common. <laughs> Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Um, So, yeah, to get back to my really excellent segue, Roger Federer uh, is on the cusp of returning to competitive tennis, isn't he? He's in Perth. He... Uh, they they well they didn't sell tickets I don't think they just made uh, tickets available on the centre court in Perth today for his practice session and it looked like a One Direction concert it was insane he did a periscope of his practice session in Dubai about a week ago uh, which my brother pretty much bunked off work to watch and then we watched again on Christmas Day via Chromecast on our TV because that's what losers we all are but it was so interesting it was so interesting I wish more players would do that if you haven't seen it and you're a tennis fan even if you're not a Roger Federer fan it's not really about Federer I just found it really interesting seeing all the drills He, he was mic'd up and it was all properly produced you know it was a multi-camera shoot he was hitting with with Luca Puy who was nothing more than a sort of a, a prop for, for Federer um, and he did a periscope it, 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 he did yeah he did a Q&A session at the end of it uh, and he couldn't keep track of it the questions were flooding in so quickly he couldn't keep track of them and of course some of them were were more were more insane than others such as such is the world of the internet uh, but some of them were so interesting and you know he was so oh, my dad was particularly interested because he was talking about how many strings he gets through in a year and my dad my dad does racket string and he was he was just you know christmas day we were all sat there glued to the telly watching Roger Federer do do a Q&A on the internet it was yeah it's great I really recommend you watch it and it's just an example of I know people evangelize so much about how amazing Roger Federer is and it can become boring it really can if you're not if you're not a Roger Federer fan to to the extent that you know my brother is or whatever I, I understand that it can become boring but when you see him do things like that it you just however boring it all might sound, it is all true. He is so good for tennis. I just, I thought it was fantastic him doing that. Fantastic to see people queue up to in, in frenzy to watch a practice session. You know, that's, that's the, the frenzy that's surrounding his return. And I, I think it's all just fantastic. I really, I really do. It's really, it's really got me going. Uh, I, one thing I would say, you said it's not just about Federer, the fact that he did this practice session, that you'd like the insights of a number of the players. I, I think, though, he does make it different because he gives you such insight. He gives such he's – so, he's so up for it. He's so excited himself. I mean, he is 35 years of age, and he – Apart from being a bit more suave and, and uh, worldly and, and obviously a good bit more rich and having loads of grandstand titles, he just hasn't changed a bit, really, since he was a teenager in terms of his just sheer delight and, uh, and happiness that he is a professional tennis player. He, he, yeah, he, he, looked, he, he looked giddy with excitement yeah, just to be out there on the, the practice he court. He walked around the practice court looking like he couldn't believe his luck, that this is, yeah. what, that this is what he gets to do for a living. Uh, and I yeah, mean, you know. and that's what you want to see, isn't it? That's you know, for all of us. Well, I, probably exempt you and I from that, David, who feel just as giddy with excitement when we get to do our day jobs. But a lot of people, you know, 
would look at him and think, how can you ever complain about anything? That's exactly how you ought to feel. You know, that's just the best life imaginable. And he looks exactly how you want someone to look in, in, in his position in the world. Like, basically, everything's just great. <laughs> and he was just enjoying the whole experience so much. He was being so insightful, you know, talking about why he does every little drill that he does, you know, what aspect of his game he feels it improves, you know, talking about how he felt like it was the serve which suffered most quickly from being away from the game and took the longest to come back. I found that very interesting, talking about the, the process of rehabilitation of his knee, how long it took for him to not be in pain. And then there was a long period when he wasn't in pain, but he was definitely aware of the knee. Uh, and my dad, who's actually had the exact same surgery as Roger Federer, is in that phase at the moment. He's not in pain, but he's aware of it. And he found it very reassuring to hear Federer say that sort of after it took about four or five months after the pain went for him to stop being aware of it. And he now no longer feels it at all. So that was cheering news for the Whitaker family on Christmas Day. Thank you, Roger Federer. Um, yeah, it was all just really, really interesting. And yeah, we we all benefit from Roger Federer. He doesn't have to do things like that. You know, yeah, I know it's good for his PR and I'm sure there was all sorts of PR people behind it and everything, but he still doesn't have to do that and he doesn't have to do it with as much, you know, gusto as he does. And it's all just great for tennis. I sound like you, David. I'm, it's, it's, it's rubbing I'm off, isn't it, I'm choking Catherine? on being hey? this enthusiastic about I know, anything. I tell you, it's only taken me five years to get my, uh, <laughs> uh, what, what people know me call my chirp chip, because I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm chirping, you know? You are relentlessly chirpy, David. And on the, you're not going to get less chirpy. It's, it, it's after a, a, a sad start to the podcast. I'm glad I got the sort of less uh, happy news out of the way first because it's all good now it's all good Andy Murray won uh, Sports Personality of the Year it feels like a million years ago but we have to at least mention it I know he was the odds on favourite and it was no great surprise but you know it was nice wasn't it it, it was nice I, 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 nice little bit of uh, name drop I was there I was there in, in he wasn't but I was I was in, <laughs> I was in, I was in the, uh, the the arena as we he, couldn't get Andy Murray guys but it's okay we got David Law well exactly that's why everybody seemed okay okay with it um but uh hey, michael quite, phelps was there yeah it That's was quite good, funny on, on, the, on the um on the big screen though when uh, when they did present him the award and well done lennox lewis for getting it right this time uh timings wise but it was hilarious as the uh, the people in their swimming uh, their bathing odd, costumes were all could they were all not sort have of, asked you know, them to move out of shot just for a couple of minutes Come on, that. Do you think they did ask them and they belligerently refused? I I'd they lo- said no. Would you I'm move? going to continue sunbathing. I I, I'd have been. I'd have I been trying to get I my head in there. I would move. Yeah, because I don't think I would want to be in the background of Andy Murray getting his Sports Personality of the Year award. Oh, sort of just be great. Lounging around. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it was. It, it's a, it's a very tricky thing, isn't it, when someone that's not there wins they definitely improved the situation with the delay on the line they'd obviously resolved that that was something that had to be improved uh, on last time and it was all a bit of a disaster but still there was a slightly awkward moment when Lennox Lewis sort of handed over the trophy and then didn't really know what to do with himself so just kept on standing there well, he was so focused on that bit wasn't he that he, that he <laughs> yeah. didn't want to get that bit wrong and he did it he did it as soon as he possibly could and, and then, then just sort of... and then Murray did his speech which I think he did very very well with and then the credits started rolling and there was obviously a producer standing behind the camera saying just keep smiling Andy keep just, smiling, just keep, keep smiling keep looking like an idiot yeah, don't blink <laughs> just keep smiling and bless him he, he he did what he was told but he didn't look it wasn't the most natural of smiles was it he looked like I would have done in that scenario with someone shouting at me to smile uh, so yeah it was all I did find it slightly amusing but I, I'm I'm pleased that he won, but I almost felt like it was he should have there should be like a separate Andy Murray award, which they should give to him every year for being, I believe, the greatest sports person we've ever had in this country. And then the sports personality award can be, you know, let someone else have a go. <laughs> it should be there like, you and, Andy, you're a given. This one's for the best of the rest. Catherine Whittaker, Solving the World's <laughs> Problems, in one podcast. Oh, wow, that's a podcast in itself. This is how ideas are born, David. This is how yeah, ideas it, are born. Isn't it? 
Right, I can uh, see Rose is really getting a bit irritated now, isn't no, she? No, we've, she's, we've definitely gone to 501 now. She's in heaven. She's in heaven. She's eating. I can hear the sound of her munching away in the background. That will be over in about 14 seconds after she's inhaled it. Uh, but yeah, this has been the tennis podcast which leaves me only i suppose to uh to do a little bit of a reminder i know i reminded you at the start of the show that we are running a kickstarter campaign if you haven't heard about it if you like me have turned off all of your twitter and social media notifications for the festive period because you're just feeling a bit grumpy about it all then we are running a kickstarter fundraising campaign to help us uh, try and keep the tennis podcast going for 20 2017. It's not that we don't want to keep it going. We love doing it. We really do. It just costs time, money, effort, all of it to keep it going. It doesn't just happen. As much as we enjoy it, uh, we have busy and demanding lives and it isn't something we can just pluck out of thin air every week. So we uh, we need a bit of help to keep it going, a bit of financial help to get editors on board to help us with that sort of thing, people to help us with all the social media, which we know you love so much. Um, yeah, so if you are uh, haven't already, if you have chipped in, we thank you very, very much. And we have been pretty overwhelmed with the support we've received we really have it's difficult when you start something like this we've never done anything like it before we sought advice from other podcasters and and similar ventures uh, one of which is racket magazine who are bringing out a new issue very very soon and, and and we like to show solidarity with with other people that are doing similar things and doing thing them from the same place you know from love love of tennis we have we sought advice, but it's difficult when you start something like this and you just don't know what the response is going to be. But we have been, we've been really overwhelmed. And if there's anybody listening that hasn't chipped in yet, but thinks they might be able to, then we would be, we'd be very grateful, wouldn't we, David? We certainly would. We certainly would. You know, it's been, it's been really, I don't want to get too uh, dewy eyed about it, but it's been quite heartwarming to see how many people that listen to this show have, have wanted to keep it going and have supported us so far. There's two weeks left. If you, if you want to do so, please do kickstarter.com, search for tennis podcast and, uh, and it'll all be there. Um, Catherine was mentioning Racket Magazine just then, as she said, uh, uh, issue number two is uh, is due to to come out onto the uh, the bookshelves for them. It's also available on uh, racketmag.com, so go and have a look at that. Um, great magazine. And uh, Catherine, you know, it's only about three days until the tennis season starts. It's two weeks until the Australian Open. You are going to explode, aren't you? I, I might. The first, ever, gonna... the first ever tennis podcast to end with uh, the spontaneous explosion or implosion of David Law. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'm trying really hard to keep the heartbeat normal at the moment. <laughs> I, I should say as well, we're also hoping to do daily podcasts at the Grand Slams this year. That's a bit above our target. We've got to fund a bit more for that. So if you want to have daily yeah. shows from the Grand Slams, get over there. Kickstarter. Yeah, we're not threatening you or anything, but <laughs> but... If you don't back us, then you might not get daily shows from the Australian Open. But we'd really like to, wouldn't we? We'd really like to. So, um, yeah, just back us if you can. We'd be really grateful. Uh, but don't worry, we still love doing the tennis podcast. And uh, we'll be back with you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 